With David of old we would pray afresh, Dear Lord, open thou our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And speak to our hearts through thy word, by thy spirit, for thy dear name's sake. Amen. We had read to us just a moment or two ago that delightful story in the second chapter of St. Matthew. I want to go just a little further back and read the words that introduce this chapter. All chapter breaks, as you know, are arbitrary and human. The story in the Bible just runs unbroken all the way through. So we're going to go back just a little into chapter 1 and read from verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying where is he that is born king? My subject this evening is born to be king. More accurately, perhaps I should announce the subject as born king. One of the evidence, one of the evidences of the degeneration of human nature is the rebellion of men and women to kingship, to sovereignty. When it takes its worst forms, we find at the far extremes either the corrupting dictatorship of tyrannical power as we see it today in Russia, as we see it manifested in the intentions and power and influence of a Castro. 
But at the other extreme, don't delude yourself, there is a degenerate democracy which is fast going into further degeneracy, as seen in the Western world. Neither degenerate democracy, nor indeed corrupting tyranny, are God's concept of kingship and submission to kingship. And I repeat, when man demonstrates his worst, it's when he rebels to kingship and leadership so that he must be ruled by some tyrannical power and bludgeoned into submission as they are under communism or else given free scope to say what he will without any restraint as in certain aspects of democracy. But you know, in spite of that statement which I have made, down deep in the heart of every man or woman who has any vestige of the image of God left in him, there is, there is a desire for leadership, for kingship, and this has been demonstrated right down through the centuries. To Adam, God was king. For we read that God gave him dominion, and only a king can give dominion. And as Adam called the animals to himself and named them, and as he ruled in his own paradise of Eden, he was in submission to kingship. Then sin came and marred the picture. And man reveled in his anarchy and his rebellion and his refusal to submit. And then you remember how God began to call out his leaders first in the great patriarchs. And we see kingship vested in a man like Abraham called out of the earth of the Chaldees, ruling his own household, calling together his family, and once again the whole idea of kingship is being established. We see it not only in the patriarchs, but we see it later in the kings themselves. It was the voice of the people that asked for king Saul. They refuted the kingship and refused the kingship of God, and they preferred a man named Saul. And God hearkened unto the heart of the people. And Saul was established king. He failed. And in came David, a man after God's own heart. And then king after king, king after king, preceded by judges and prophets. And succeeded by judges and prophets. And so the idea of kingship comes right down through the centuries until we hear the voice of a seeking group of men. Whether there were 12, we don't know. Whether there were 24, we don't know. Whether there were three, we don't know. But they came from far. They came perhaps from Mesopotamia. They may have come from Persia. They may have come from Arabia. But they came and there was a cry upon their hearts. Where is he that is born king? Yes, God's king had come. Now I want us to think tonight about this whole concept of kingship as gloriously illustrated in this Christmas story. I want us to think in the first place of the coming of the king. The coming of the king. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king, king of the Jews? And I want you to observe two things about his coming, the coming of the king. First of all, it was a miraculous coming. It was a miraculous coming. We read that he was born king. But oh, how much is wrapped up in that phrase, born king. It was a miraculous coming because in the first instance, it was the fulfillment of a divine pronouncement. When humans have offspring, they can never predict whether it's going to be a girl or a boy. When they choose names, they always have the alternative in case it isn't the boy they want or the girl they want. But when the angel came, he pronounced categorically, he, she shall conceive a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Only God could make a pronouncement like that. The divine pronouncement concerning sex, a son. The divine pronouncement concerning a name, thou shalt call his name Jesus. And there was no alternative to that name. For God had given the angel a final word. He shall be a son. He shall be called Jesus. Herein is the miracle of his coming. But not only do we see it in the divine pronouncement, we see the miracle of his coming in the divine performance. Twice over we read in that first chapter of Matthew that that which happened that memorable first Christmas was the work of the Holy Ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, here in Calvary Baptist Church tonight and away across Radio Land, I want to affirm categorically and unhesitatingly and unashamedly with the Apostles' Creed that I believe in the virgin birth. If I don't believe in the virgin birth, I cannot believe in a supernatural Savior. If I don't believe in the virgin birth, I cannot believe in a sinless Savior. And if I am to be saved at all, I must have a supernatural Savior. I must have a sinless Savior. I believe in the virgin birth. And you go far back into Genesis chapter 3 and we read this remarkable statement. Right there in Genesis 3 is the story of the virgin birth. The seed of the woman. The seed of the woman shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman. In normal births, it's the seed of the man, but it's the seed of the woman. And to that seed came the Holy Ghost. And with that seed, the Holy Ghost fused the life to be formed in the womb of Mary and in nine months to be delivered through the purposes of God as well as the processes of human birth. And although originated and initiated by the Holy Ghost, the babe was born just like all other babies with that initial cry as the little infant was drawn to the bosom of Mary in yon cave on that first Christmas night. Hallelujah for such a wonderful mystery, such a glorious miracle. The coming of the King. And to this three years later came the wise men to a house, will you mark it, 
to a house saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? The miracle of his coming. The miracle of his coming. But his coming was not only miraculous, ladies and gentlemen. The coming of the Lord Jesus was momentous. We read these words and tend to lose sight of all that they mean now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. It was a momentous hour. A momentous hour in every sense of the word. In the first instance, from a governmental point of view, it was a momentous hour. God had in a very remarkable way prepared this moment for the coming of the king. Someone has said in the coming of Jesus Christ and that first Christmas night there was a combination of preparation and expectation. Have you ever thought out your history and remarked to yourself what amazing preparations were abroad for the coming of Jesus Christ? Under Alexander the Great all the nations of the world had been made literate almost. And the language was common, Greek. They spoke one language ready for the coming of Christ and the spread of the gospel. Under the great Roman power, the roads had been laid down. Law was introduced. Government was established. And people began to understand all the principles that would make sense when the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was preached. It's an interesting thing that if you read the great historians, Sotionus, Tacitus, and Josephus, all these historians speak of a very amazing air of expectation that prevailed all over the world. The wise men from the East weren't only the victims, as someone has put it, of astrology. They had an expectancy. We're told that the Roman world was full of expectancy. Josephus tells us in the War of the Jews that the Jewish people everywhere were saying, He's coming! He's coming! The great deliverer is coming! There was an air of expectancies throughout the whole of the world. Spiritually, of course, there was no darker night in all the world. Four hundred years had rolled by and not one gleam of light. And although Simeon the just and holy man bowed his head in prayer and waited for the consolation of Israel, and though Anna never ceased to pray for the coming of the Messiah, and although there were around the various parts of Palestine those who waited for that consolation and knew he was coming, even beyond that there was the desire of the nations, the throb of nations for the coming of some great mighty one, it was a momentous hour when Jesus Christ was born. And I want to say this so often. We talk about that cradle. We talk about the swaddling clothes. We talk about the humiliation of the Savior. We talk about the condescension of God. We talk about that little infant baby born in obscurity. But when you uncover the facts, it was a most momentous hour. Of course, when Paul takes up the pen... And begins to write in the language of the Holy Spirit. He sums it up perfectly when he says this. So far as God is concerned. When the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son. Precision timing. When the worlds were made. By the outgoing of the breath of God. It was precision timing. 
When Jesus came, it was precision timing. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it was precision timing. When Jesus comes back again, it will be precision timing. The coming of the King. A miraculous coming. A momentous coming. The coming of the King. But as we consider our subject tonight, I want us to think not only of the coming of the King, I want us to think for a few moments of the credentials of the King. The credentials of the King. Where is he that is born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. I thought about this for a long time. My heart has just been filled as I've tried to ascertain what were and what are the credentials of this wonderful king. I think they're revealed to us in two ways. They're discovered to us in two ways. First of all, in what I'm calling quite deliberately the revelation of prophecy. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world was not an unheralded event. It was heralded right down through the centuries by patriarchs, by psalmists, by prophets. They tell us again and again in the Old Testament five books of the law. Again and again the word comes out, out of Zion shall come a deliverer. The scepter shall not depart from him. In the Psalms we read in the voice of God through David, I have set my king upon my holy hill Zion. We come into the prophets and we read that glorious verse with which we've been very much familiar in the Christian era. But I wonder how much we've entered into its meaning. Yes, listen to it again from Isaiah 9 and 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Yes, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And of his government and of his power and influence there shall be no end, says the great prophet. Yes, the zeal of the Lord shall perform this. Upon his shoulder shall be the government. Yes, the revelation of prophecy and in this very context in which Pastor Gammon was reading just now we have the same prophetic revelation why said Herod is it true that a king is to come let me call my theologians together and he called the scribes unto him and he said tell me is there any word of scripture concerning the coming of such a king where is he that is born king of the Jews and you remember how they came together and gathered the chief priests and scribes and the people together and demanded of them where Christ should be born and they said unto him quoting Micah 5 and 2 in Bethlehem of Judea for thus it is written by the prophet and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not least among the princes of Judah for out of thee shall come a governor a king a leader a deliverer who shall rule my people Israel. You ask for the credentials of the king. They're wrapped up in the revelation of prophecy. And my beloved friends it doesn't end there. The prophetic word goes right on beyond his coming to the day of his second coming. As we were thinking of this morning. 
when he whose right it is to reign shall sway the scepter of universal empire at that coming, when the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. Hallelujah for such a king. The credentials of the king. But not only have we these credentials in the revelation of prophecy, we have these credentials in the second place in the acclamation of history. Follow me just for a moment as we just limit ourselves only to the Gospels and one or two looks into the epistles. The credentials of the king, wise men from the east, these magi, not sorcerers, but astrologers and astronomers, holy men, men who were given to a priestly caste, who spent long hours in prayer, and who sought for some deliverer, perhaps looking again at that prophecy of Balaam concerning the star that should come. And as they followed that star providentially set for them in the skies, they came asking a question, where is he that is born king? Notice, born king. Other children born in royal families are born princes, waiting to be crowned kings. But he was born king, the credentials of the king. The seekers and wise men from the east came seeking a king. Later on in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, we remember that occasion in John 6, when having fed the five thousands with loaves and fishes, and having stirred and warmed the hearts of these hungry people with his own teaching, we read, that they sought to make him king by force. They recognized in him the credentials of the king. And although he perceived that they sought to make him take him by force and make him king and departed from them, nevertheless, it stands on the page of, Christ, uh, of history that they sought to make him king. We go a little further into the gospel story and we're nearing the end of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. The seekers from the east sought him as king. His admirers sought to make him and crown him as king. But now the hour has come for an amazing proclamation. Behold, behold he cometh. Hosanna in the highest, the king of Israel. And you remember how he came riding upon that little donkey into the city amidst the acclamation of men and women and disciples alike. Hail, king! Hail, thou king! There was something about the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was something about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was something about the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was something about the personage of the Lord Jesus Christ that made these people follow the Savior on that donkey into the city of Jerusalem, the city of the king, to welcome him as king. It wasn't many hours later that these same people now disillusioned by the fact that the kingdom of Jesus Christ was not an earthly kingdom, mocked him as king. They draped him in that mock robe 
And as he stood there bleeding from that thorn-crowned brow, they cried, Hail, King. Still a few hours later, they nailed him to a cross. And Pilate, who had looked into the face of the king, and who had asked a question to which we shall refer in a moment, put over the superscription, reading in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. When the Jews remonstrated with him and said, don't put that, say that he claimed to be the king, he replied, what I have written, I have written. The acclamation of history concerning his kingship. He was buried. He rose the third day according to the scriptures. The Holy Spirit came upon his followers and they went out to preach the message of a king. And I remember that occasion in Acts 17 in verse 7 when Paul and Silas having turned the whole world upside down as we read in that very context having rocked the city of Thessalonica discovered, discovered that a riot was starting and they dragged out Jason who had given hospitality to the disciples and remonstrated with him. Why? Because these people had preached another king, one Jesus. And I love that glorious passage in the epistle of Paul to Timothy, where the apostle Paul, having looked back upon his life and having recorded the fact that though the chief of sinners, the Lord Jesus had come into the world to save him, goes on to say, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first of all Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And then he says, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I have met him, the king of my life, says the apostle Paul. I acclaim as one in the history of mankind that Jesus Christ is king. The credentials of the king. But what I'm interested in tonight is not so much the coming of the king, though that's important. That's the message of Christmas. Not only the credentials of the king substantiated by the revelation of prophecy and the acclamation of history. What I'm concerned with tonight is what I'm calling the claims of the king. The claims of the king. Now I want you to listen to me as I read you some verses that I've been pondering with great intensity over the past few hours. The Lord Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate giving what we are told a good confession of his faith. And we read that Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? 
Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. Then I would be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Listen to these words carefully. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, and here is the meaning of the Greek here, Thou sayest rightly, I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Ladies and gentlemen, I never saw so forcibly the significance of the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ as I did these last few days in studying that particular scripture. Pilate said, Art thou a king? Jesus said, Thou sayest rightly I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I unto this world. And that's why I witnessed to the truth of my kingship. And he that is of the truth heareth my voice. The claims of the king. Jesus claims that for this very purpose he came into this world. For this very cause was he born that he might be king. King in your life. King in my life. And I'm interested in these words. He that is of the truth heareth my voice. What does this mean? It means this, that the claims of Jesus Christ upon our lives are twofold. If he came into this world to be born as king, if it was for this very cause that he came into this world to be our king, then he wants two things from us. He that is of the truth, that's allegiance. He that's committed to this, Spells out allegiance. And secondly, heareth my voice. That's obedience. And the claims of the king, the king of Christmas, tonight are these two glorious twin truths. Allegiance. Obedience. Come back to where we started and think of these wise men. First of all, allegiance. Dear Dr. Bishop Ryle, that saintly man of the Episcopalian faith, writing on this passage says, in his judgment and opinion, the faith of these wise men stands only second perhaps to the thief upon the cross, otherwise second to, night, second to none in the whole history of mankind. They had no Bible. They had no television program. They had no radio. They had no missionaries. They had no great gospel program. They were wrapped up in much superstition, notwithstanding their piety. They depended only upon what they heard and saw in the skies and in the witness of their own hearts. And they traveled right over those vast distances covering those various dangers in order to come and worship the king. And the language was this, we have come to worship him. 
We have come to worship him. The allegiance of these men to the kingship of Jesus Christ. They looked at a little infant in all the helplessness of a baby any time. Nestled in its mother's bosom. And yet they knelt down and worshipped him as king. And the presents that they brought, we're told, were the presents only given to a king. And although we have sought to spiritualize these words for our edification, ultimately, ultimately, as Dr. William Barclay points out, these are always and ever, down through the centuries, recognized as gifts to a king. And they laid before the king Jesus gold and frankincense, and myrrh, the claims of the king. Allegiance. Allegiance. Secondly, I notice obedience. Having knelt before him there, they heard the voice of God warning them to go back another way. And back another way they went. Obedience to the voice of the God who had led them to the Christ king. Nothing less than obedience. My beloved friend here tonight, he was born to be king. We've seen something of his coming. We've seen something of his credentials. We've learned something tonight of his claims. And if Christ means anything to you tonight, this Christ of Christmas, remember the words of the Master himself, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. Why? That I might be king. And he looks into your life. Claiming allegiance. Claiming obedience. Will you drop on your knees tonight and worship him? With your costliest gifts. Even the love of your heart. The surrender of your whole being. And will you look up into his face and say, Thou King Christ, be thou King of my life. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Then rise from your knees and go back another way. Go back God's way. Live God's life. Live in obedience to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even the Christ of Christmas. Will you give him allegiance? Will you give him obedience tonight? And make this the greatest Christmas. Be wise men. Be wise women here tonight. And own him. King. Of your life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus we ask thee to take. This simple meditation. And cause it to be more than just a meditation, but a glorious revelation of the sovereignty and kingship of Jesus Christ. And in our bewildered lives, with all the defeat, wilt thou reign as King, Lord Jesus, as we give the allegiance and obedience throughout the rest of our lives. We ask this for thy dear name's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. 
If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found on our website. Thank you so much for listening.